Earth is warming, the sea levels rising, and time is running out. I'm Ollie Gyu. And I'm Shika Voto, and this is Pitch Pulse, a podcast from the Private Infrastructure Development Group. Pidge finances innovative infrastructure projects in sub-Saharan Africa and South and Southeast Asia. We're committed to alleviating poverty, celebrating equality and creating sustainable communities. Today, we discuss climate change and the much-needed action that's being taken to protect our future. If we want to hit net zero emissions by 2050, in line with the Paris Agreement, this is the last decade we have to deviate from the damaging course that we're on. Fortunately, initiatives and events like the UN's upcoming COP26 summit are spurring people into action the world over. Infrastructure is an important piece of the puzzle when it comes to action against climate change, and at Pidge we take our role seriously. So what are we doing to address the issue? Hi, I'm Marco Serena and I'm Head of Development Impact at Pidge. Hi, I'm Emmeline Horvath. I'm a Senior Health, Safety, Environmental and Social Advisor at both Pidge and Garanko. Marco and Emma Lynn are here to explain the five dimensions that inform the PIDGE approach to climate action. We're investing in infrastructure in the regions with the greatest socioeconomic development needs and aspirations. These are also the regions with the lowest historic greenhouse gas emissions, the regions that are the most vulnerable to climate change, and the regions with the fastest population growth in the world. Infrastructure projects take years to develop, and once they're put in place, they stay there for decades. So it's critical that the long-term implications of infrastructure investments are properly considered. If you think that uh, we've got a decade to act on climate change, it means that the choices we're making today in the infrastructure space are absolutely crucial because they're locking in the future greenhouse gas emissions. Historically, the countries that developed uh, in terms of poverty reduction and uh, and economic growth did so by developing infrastructure. But historically, again, we've seen economic development, infrastructure going hand in hand with greenhouse gas emissions. So the key thing is, how do we fulfill the socioeconomic aspirations and we develop infrastructure in a way that is low carbon and it doesn't lock in uh, those emissions for the future? And very recently in Africa, the, the, the estimate has been that uh, if you take into account all the plans that governments have made in order to put themselves on a trajectory to a net zero by 2050, the financing gap uh, for those plans is $3 trillion. So this is, uh, this is both a challenge and an opportunity. It's a challenge, obviously, because of uh, requiring a lot of finance and a lot of innovation, but it's also an amazing opportunity in terms of creating new economic models, new jobs and new solutions. As Marco points out, infrastructure development goes hand in hand with greenhouse gas emissions. But while it's important to make sure that any development in these regions is done sustainably, it's equally important to note that low-income countries, like the ones Pidge invests in, consistently present the lowest current and historic per capita greenhouse gas emissions. World Bank data from 2016 indicates that countries such as Cambodia, Cameroon, Ghana and Pakistan produce less than one tonne per capita of greenhouse gas emissions. Compare that to the USA or Australia, which are closer to 15 tonnes per capita. Since 2020, Pidge has been estimating and publishing the future finance greenhouse gas emissions of all of our investments, because measuring is crucial to action. But we also need to take into account the very low historic and current emissions in these places. And yet, despite bearing little responsibility for the problem of man-made climate change, it's exactly these countries which bear the brunt of the consequences. 
These are the regions with the highest current and future vulnerability to climate change in the world. They are consistently the countries least resilient to climate shocks and therefore face the greatest risks to health, livelihoods, food security, water supply, human security and economic growth from climate change. To complicate matters, while the international financial systems transition towards recognising the negative impacts of finance greenhouse gas emissions, for many economies in Africa and Asia, a just transition from fossil fuel to renewable is one that also bears significant costs in terms of jobs, revenues and investments. This is why we really need to consider equity and just transitions when investing in the economies that historically emitted the least, while we urgently accelerate innovation and financing solutions for sustainable infrastructure. It's clear the socio-economic implications of climate change are massive in these regions. There has been progress in recent years, but the scale of the issue is still vast. In the last year, the COVID pandemic has made things worse as some of the investments have stalled and some of the progress on infrastructure has stalled. But the figures are staggering. Overall, 800 million people still have no access to electricity in Africa and Southeast Asia. 785 million people still lack a basic drinking water service. Over 1 billion people still live in slums. And we know that access to electricity, water and housing is not only a fundamental right, but also a key enabler for poverty reduction and to achieve many of the sustainable development goals, including jobs, health, education. If we drill down, for example, on energy, which is one of the main areas of focus for us, the latest data about some of the countries in which we invest is revealing. If you take Sierra Leone, where we recently invested in off-grid uh, solar energy, uh, less than a quarter of people have access to electricity, only 5% in rural areas. In Senegal, the situation is a bit better, but um, about 60% have access and 40% in rural areas. In Asia, um, is a similar story. Myanmar, 70% of, on average, 60% in rural areas. If you think about it, everywhere else in Europe, by comparison, nearly 100% have access to electricity. As the population in these regions is set to soar, there is hope that we can use this growth to build a better understanding of climate change by tapping into the so-called population dividend, the energy and ingenuity of a large young population and their aspirations. But while this is a positive effect of population growth, there are of course challenges that come with it. Yes, we need new solutions that allow improving living standards and fulfilling people aspirations without irreversibly compromising the planet. In the next three decades, the regions we invest in will see the fastest population and urbanization growth on Earth. This presents a major challenge to find the appropriate models of sustainable socioeconomic development. The need to develop infrastructure will become even more pressing and the current vulnerabilities will be made even more complex with increasing populations. Now, in an upcoming episode of the podcast, we'll be discussing the issue of gender lens investing, but we'd like to touch on it now as it plays an important role in climate action. Change is never gender blind and it's the same with climate change. We risk perpetuating and accentuating inequalities. We need a gender lens not only because of a strong impact case, women bear the brunt of negative climate change impacts and they are amazing multipliers of positive impacts in their communities. It is equally about a strong business case as women who are key innovators, entrepreneurs and investors continue to be underrepresented and underfunded. This is why we must take a very decisive gender lens in our investments. The energy sector is Pidgeot's largest, and its commitment to building a greener future is evident in the vast array of renewable energy projects the company invests in. Pidge company Infraco Asia played a key role in developing the first privately financed investments in renewables in Vietnam, solar and hydro in Pakistan, wind, 
Its sister company, Freco Africa, is developing the first solar plant in Chad, the first geothermal in Ethiopia, and our credit companies finance what is today the largest operational solar plant in West Africa, in Mali. If you think about the countries and the fact that these are the first projects of their type, these are projects that require a high risk appetite and that take time. It is about proving the technologies in new contests, uh, it's about ensuring the environmental standards are met and working on the legislative frameworks. Uh, when things work, they can be replicated, like in northern Uganda, where we use standard legal documentation to invest in a portfolio of mini runoff river hydros that now provide a significant proportion of local clean energy. In certain geographies, gas-fired power generation is still part of a transition to low carbon, as it is the least polluting way to provide the necessary base load power that enables further renewable energy. We have a very rigorous decision tree based on work from the Natural Resource Institute that looks at the alignment with the Paris Agreement plans, the fact that no alternatives exist, enabling rather than displacing renewables, the use of best technology, how long the infrastructure will be in place. And we do, of course, uh, assess both the physical and transition climate risks for that type of infrastructure. As well as enabling the use of renewable technologies in new contexts, Pidge is also investing in truly groundbreaking solutions. In the case of Kivuwat Project, funded by Pitch company Emerging Africa Infrastructure Fund in Rwanda, which is harnessing harmful gas from Lake Kivu, to produce clean energy to the, for the population. And the technology is really moving fast and the costs are coming down. Uh, we recently closed our first investment in on-grid solar with a battery energy storage system in Malawi, which will be crucial to improve performance of solar solutions at peak time. Off-grid solar is an area in which we are investing at scale, as it is another piece of the jigsaw for hard-to-reach locations. For example, we've invested in off-grid solar in rural Sierra Leone or remote islands of the, in the Philippines, where we recently provided power to rural populations for the very first time, transforming people's lives there. And last but not least, is it is not only about developing projects, but also enabling green finance to flow where it is most needed. Last year, pitch companies enabled the first green bond in East Africa in local currency, focused on energy-efficient, affordable uh, student accommodation. As a group, we have a very deliberate focus on local currency solutions to unlock local institutional investors, including through pitch company Garanko, whose very mission is to develop local capital markets for infrastructure, as this is a fundamental enabler to fund renewable energy at scale in Africa and Asia. Another key area that needs close attention when it comes to climate change is transport. Improving transport links is a vital step in developing the economies of low-income countries. But taking into account the need for long-term climate-friendly investments, the issue of increasing carbon emissions needs to be thought about carefully. Transport is absolutely crucial to enable people to move around, but very importantly, uh, to enable trade and logistics. And it's, this is even more important in, uh, uh, in the context of the pandemic, where regional supply chains are gaining in importance. And we will not shy away from funding essential transport infrastructure like roads, ports, transport hubs. Uh, we put in place rigorous decision trees to avoid unnecessarily locking in future emissions. And we're looking at the best available design and technology to maximize the resilience of the transport infrastructure to climate change and to future-proof the sector. Change is coming fast and we shouldn't uh, underestimate its pace. Only 
12 months ago, we were discussing a page, uh, a number of market-ready technologies that we wanted to back, considering cost implications, financing models, and wondering how long it would take before we could finance them uh, in a commercial way. And less than a year later, we closed our first electric mobility investment in Kenya by pitch company in Africa. And we are seeing uh, several more opportunities like that in the pipeline, especially in urban areas. At the start of this podcast, we said that time was running out, that we are in danger of losing the race against climate change. The question is, can we realistically meet the targets of the Paris Agreement by 2050? Well, uh, science says that there is still time, but the time is running out. And if you look at page very mission, we exist because we need innovative financing solutions to deliver infrastructure where people need it, the governments cannot fund it, and private investors are still shy to uh, invest due to real or perceived risks. So our role today is absolutely crucial to be part of the solution and to demonstrate the technical and financial viability of low-carbon infrastructure, carbon-sequestering infrastructure, and infrastructure that is future-proof and promotes equity and inclusion. It's beyond urgent. It's about our responsibility towards the next generation, but it's also grounded in an unavoidable business case. We need to take into account that climate is changing, and we need to make sure that any infrastructure that we put in place any job that we create, any investment that we make uh, is contributing to the solution rather than being a victim of the problem. And finally, a message of hope to end on. I think we've got a great opportunity now and we must use the response to the global crisis to reimagine the future. And I'm really excited about what we can create together as well as the energy that we can generate by putting our minds to this most urgent agenda. Thanks to Marcus Arena and Emmeline Horvath for joining us on this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Pidge's approach to climate change, visit pidge.org. You've been listening to Pidge Pulse. You can find our podcast on all the major platforms. Please like and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. I'm Oli Giu. And I'm Shika Voto. Thanks for listening. <laughs>